bankruptcy, divorce laws, disability, probate, there are so many classes on the path to practicing law. Unfortunately, most schools fail to instruct you on the business of law. This is Solo De Facto, a show dedicated to discovering the success secrets that exist in the reality of running a solo practice. My goal is to find the one thing that separates each guest from the rest to give you practical solutions to create a thriving firm. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist. Turn up the volume because you're not going to want to miss today's guest. She's going to share how she's helping law firms do this very thing. My guest today is Brooke Lively. She is an author, speaker, and president and founder of Cathedral Capital located in Fort Worth, Texas. Brooke, welcome. Thank you, Emily. Okay, first, before we get started, I have to shout out your book, and I brought it with me, so I want to show it off. I can't stand high-level concepts. They drive me nuts. I'm like, give me something tangible I can use, and this book is packed with tangible things that any law firm can use. And I love that you broke it down even by law firm size so that different growth stages have different metrics they should be looking at. Yeah, that's one of the things that we found really early on is that lawyers don't speak financial. So if we couldn't break it down and talk to people in what we call kitchen table English, we, we weren't gonna be successful. And at the end of the day, we're, a whole bunch of financial people that think finance is easy. And it's just about being able to explain those concepts in simple terms, because ultimately they're not that complicated. Right. Can you share with our listeners a little bit more about what Cathedral Capital does? So we help make law firms more profitable by serving as a fractional CFO. And we really like to think of ourselves as financial Sherpas, because when you own a business, any business, but you know, a law firm is a great example. If when you own a law firm, it is like climbing a mountain. It is exhilarating. It's fun. It can be beautiful. It can also be cold and lonely and dangerous. And no one has ever climbed Mount Everest by themselves. They have Sherpas. And the Sherpa's job is to tell them what's coming up, help them avoid things so they don't fall in a crevasse or die on the mountain. And, and that's what we do for people. We have an immense amount of financial knowledge. So we can tell you, this is what you're going to encounter. This is how we avoid it. This is how we create more profit for you in your firm. That's awesome. I have friends and full disclosure, Cath Capital does our CFOing. And so I have friends that are like, well, I hired this fractional person. And I kind of say, if they're not doing things like questioning you about what is the ROI on your marketing? Um, how much is it costing you to acquire? And really getting into the nitty gritty questions and giving some pushback, they're probably not really acting in a true CFO role. And that's usually what we're looking for. Yeah, we did encounter a, um, a company recently, our, our marketing, our, we have a, we've outsourced some of our marketing and that marketing company came to us and said, this may be a competitor and they would do your bookkeeping and for an extra $50 a month, they would do CFO work. We're like, <laughs> I promise you for $50 a month, you're not going to get anything of value because yep. they can't, yeah. they can't look, they can't 
question. And that's one of the things that we love to do. You know, we look at a problem and we want to find the root cause. We don't want to treat the symptom. Yep. So how can we dig down? And, and that's a lot of what we do is we use the data to dig down and find the root cause of the problem and fix it there. It's fantastic. And sometimes, you know, as the business owner, we need someone to push us to ask some uncomfortable questions. Um, like, no, if you add, yeah, if you add this person, what value are you expecting from them? How we hold them accountable to it? Um, you know, sometimes we just want to do things based on feeling. And I love that it's just a reminder to make sure that it's backed up with solid numbers. Well, and, and you're totally right. And especially about people. If you think about a law firm, well, let's think about it this way. A manufacturing firm, if they were going to buy a new machine, the question would absolutely be, how can this improve our, our process? How can this improve our output? How will this save us time? How will this make us money? In a law firm, in any service-based business, you, your machinery is your people. They're your biggest expense. And they are also the source of your revenue. So, you know, how does adding that person improve efficiency, add revenue? Like, what does that person accomplish for you? Absolutely. Yeah, it helps to, to have those numbers to hold people accountable. So I'm curious, you are very knowledgeable about law firms. You work with a ton of law firms. Why law? Oh, God. So I don't know. I think I was programmed for law from birth. So my father's an attorney, my brother's an attorney. I have some weird obsession with attorneys. Every, virtually every guy I have ever dated has been a left-handed six foot two lawyer who wears glasses, including, and this cracks me up, the guys I dated in high school grew up to be left-handed lawyers. Wow. I know, isn't that weird? Magnet. <laughs> I was in, um, I was serving on a jury in DC and we were going through voir dire. Now I'm from Texas. So in Texas, it's voir dire with the accent. So voir dire in Texas, but I was in DC. So it was voir dire. And, you know, I was raising my hand for everything because I'm really good at figuring out how to get out of jury duty. So they pull me up to the front. The judge is questioning me about my answers and was talking about all the attorneys. And, and I said, yeah, you know, I date attorneys. My father's an attorney, family's attorney, uncle's attorneys friends or attorneys and she looked at me she said you need a better class of friends <laughs> I thought oh geez now the judge is in on this <laughs> wow so everyone around you is an attorney you're an attorney magnet you never yeah. wanted to be an attorney um I did actually when I graduated from college I wanted to go to law school not because I wanted to practice, but because I love the way law school teaches attorneys to work and to think. And I thought that would be a great asset. My father, the litigator said, I am not paying for law school if you're not gonna practice. So that kind of, yeah. So that kind of killed that dream. Um, and, and let's face it, part of going to law school is I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And my brother still asks me why I don't go to law school because the part of the law that I love more than anything else is um, tax and estate. How can we legally get out of paying estate taxes? And that really dovetails with my financial education. 
And um, I'm a CFA, a chartered financial analyst. So one of the things that we did as a CFA was figure out how to move wealth from one generation to the next. And yeah, my brother was like, you can just run over to SMU and get a, <laughs> and get a law degree. And I'm like, I don't know, it's a lot of effort. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So CFOing, accounting, have you always been a numbers person? Yes. And I had no idea. Wow. Because it was just so normal in my family. So have you ever taken a drive with children? And yeah. there's, there's one question that they ask. Are we there yet? <laughs> Are we there yet? How much longer? So when I was little, my father would slow down to 60 miles an hour and tell me that we were 237 miles away and we had to figure it out. No paper, no pen in the back of the, um, in the back of the uh, car. And then as we got older, he quit slowing down and he would say, I'm going 87 miles an hour and it's 237 miles away. Wow. And we did not. So like we had always been very analytical and very math-based and I thought that was normal. And when I went to grad school, I thought I was going to get a marketing degree. And I did all this testing that said I should be an accountant. And I'm like, I have entirely too much personality to be an accountant. Right. <laughs> and, um, I called some friends that I had worked with and worked for. And I'm like, this isn't really analytical and math-based. And they're like, yeah, how did you not know that? We sent you every math project we ever had. I was like, oh, like I just thought it was normal. I think that in life, when things come easy to us, we don't realize that it's, a, it's actually a skill that other people might envy, but it's like, oh, that's just easy and natural for us. Yeah. Well, and I think the hard part about that is it's easy and it's natural and it's also hard to put value in it. So then when you turn around and you start a business doing that, it's very hard to value something that is so easy for you, even though it's so hard for other people. I totally agree with that. One of the classes I took, kind of a businessy class, um, said, you know, to get comfortable with charging for what you do is to think about it that they're, you know, paying for your time everything you've learned. Mm -hmm. And when I started thinking of money for time rather than money for me, it made me feel a little bit better about saying, okay, I can charge, you know, a little bit higher rates. Well, and it's, and it's money for experience. So um, my father had some big internationally known uh, car companies, this clients. And one of the things he would do for them is sequestration. So when you default on your loan, your car loan, someone, you know, tow truck driver comes and takes it. It's a sequestration that does that. And um, he'd been doing them for years. We perfected a method where anyone, even me, and I'm a really, really, really bad paralegal, <laughs> could churn out and file a sequestration in 15 minutes. So they would email us the information and we would have that filed within half an hour. Now, did we charge them for 15 minutes of time? No, we charged them for all of that experience that it took, my father doing them for years, the technology that we brought in, and we charged them a flat rate based on the value of what they were getting. That makes so much sense. It's like you could throw some sticks together and build a house but you're paying for the contractor's expertise. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Easier way to sell yourself on raising rates. Uh, 
So what's the first time you worked with law? You went to school. Did you start right off in law or did you work on other areas? Oh God, no. I had like the crazy career path. So graduated from college, didn't know what I wanted to do, moved up here. I'm in Aspen, Colorado right now. So I moved here. I tried being a ski bunny. That's a little hard on your liver. So I left. Um, I was in retail for a long time. I went to grad school, um, thought I was going to get a marketing degree. Turns out I'm a finance person who knew and um, went to work for a hedge fund. Now, my father likes to shed his law partners every seven to 10 years. And it was kind of at that 10 year mark and he was shedding his law partners again. And he lost his office manager for the first time in like 20 years. And he asked me if I would help run his firm. Hedge fund didn't care. So I was in Dallas a couple of days a week at my father's office in Fort Worth. And I really brought all that discipline that I had learned in grad school on, you know, corporate finance, how to run a business to his law firm. And we hired a consultant at one point to help with sales and marketing. And his clients started coming to me and saying, can you do for us what you're doing for your father's firm? And I'm like, yes, yes, I can. That's fantastic. What's one of the biggest um, kind of problems that you put your CFO hat on to solve for that firm? Um, I, I think there, there are a lot of things. I think that um, collections is a big one. Attorneys are so afraid to collect the money they're owed because they worry about um, a malpractice claim. And so they will just let money go. And if you think about it, if we collect the money on the front end, instead of trying to collect it on the back end, it's so much smoother. It's, you are more likely to get paid. Um, your clients know what's happening and they feel very comfortable with the process. And so we have what we call the five pieces of the AR puzzle. Oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah. You want to, you want to know what that yeah. is? It let's, really makes a let's difference. Let's get into it. Exciting accounting stuff. Let's do it. Okay. Not so accounting. So <laughs> hopefully easy stuff we can implement. <laughs> it is easy stuff. So the first thing is, is get um, an initial retainer. The bar tells you to do this. In my experience, most attorneys ignore that. And you want to get a retainer that is equal to about the first three months of work. And that is different in every firm, right? If you think about an immigration firm, almost everything is upfront. If you think about a litigation firm, it's gonna be really intense in the first couple of months. Um, family law, divorce, really intense for the first few months, then it quiets down, then it gets busy again at the end. Um, so you want the first three months and this is why. Let's say you start, you get a new client and you start billing on August 1st. You're going to bill the entire month of August and you're going to send a bill on September 1st. So that's one month. I don't care what your bill says. It can say due upon receipt. It could say due in five days. Client thinks they have 30 days to, to pay it. So you've already worked all of August. Now you're working all of September while the client is sitting on the bill thinking they have 30 days to pay. And then on October 1st, you send out your next bill. And only at this point does the client think they're past due. So now you're spending all of October, not only working the case, but trying to collect. 
And that's at the point at the end of October is when you're going to figure out if you have a deadbeat client or not. Wow. I don't know how anyone could survive with that kind of a practice. Well, and, and so many people do. So if you get the first three months up front, then really all you're out is the time and filing fees to, or the, just the time to file to get out of the case. Wow. Fantastic. I, I personally, I, we used to do a net 30 um, when I first started and it absolutely did not work because I had to fund all of the costs and I was financing for clients the labor, right. the cost, and it was not sustainable. So I can absolutely see why that would be the first thing you should do is get that up front. Get it up front. And, and let's be very real. AR is money that you have loaned to a client out of your own pocket at 0% interest. That, that's not your responsibility as their attorney. So here's the second part of the AR puzzle because there are five parts. So the second part is have an evergreen retainer. And this is equal to the average three months. So three months for the same exact reason. I get a lot of pushback on this. People have said, my client has already proven they're not a deadbeat. They paid the first three months. We're good to go. I'm like, yes. And a client can stop paying you at any time for any reason. And it rarely has anything to do with you. So have the average three months. So third piece is have a stop work policy. I don't care what it is. And it can be the, the most simple low tech one I ever found was um, the red rubber band policy. And it was a farm out in the Pacific Northwest. They went to Staples. They got a $2 box of giant red rubber bands. And when a client had not paid their bill, according to whatever the stop work policy was, they stopped work, they put a red rubber band around it. Simple. If you went to a file room, to the file room to get a file, it had a red rubber band around it, can't work on it. If somebody saw a file with a red rubber band on your desk, they would say something, even if they just saw the red rubber band, you know? And, and so that was really effective. Now with the technology that we have and all of the cloud-based uh, practice management systems, you can lock a file. So have a stop work policy. Make sure that your team understands what it is. Awesome. That's a no-brainer. I love yeah. it. What okay. else? Fourth part, take client payment timing out or take payment out of the client's hands. So let's go back to what I said about your bill doing being due upon receipt and the client thinking they had 30 days. So I was at my best friend's house. She lives in Pennsylvania now. And we walked in on a Sunday night and she went to this drawer and she opened it a little bit. She pushed down the stuff in it so she could get it open all the way. Like it was jam packed. And she pulls out a stack of mail about this big. Wow. And we sit there and we go through it and most of it's junk mail and some of it's going in a pile. I'm like, what is this? And she said, I, I really haven't opened mail in about six weeks. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> who's paying your, like, your water's going to be turned off. That's She's the first like, thing I'm thinking. <laughs> I know. I'm like, what about your credit cards? She said that all of that was on auto pay. That what she was opening were really just one-off bills. And, you know, to her 
credit, the vast majority of this stuff was junk mail that went in the trash. So she gets it all open. She has the pile. And then she says, okay, I'm going to bed. She puts the pile back in the drawer. I'm like, dude, like we got bills to pay. And she said, I've done enough work on this tonight. I'll do the rest another day. As an attorney, this is what is happening to your bills. And I get a lot of pushback from people that say, whoa, 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 I have corporate clients. Okay, it's not a whole lot better. Here's how it goes with corporate clients. They generally pay bills twice a month. They open the bills on the first check run and uh, don't care what it says. They think they've got 30 days to pay, so they don't pay it in the first check run. The second check run, they add up all the bills. They look at how much cash they have. And then they prioritize and you may or may not get paid. Yep. So we want to take payment timing out of the client's hands. And we do this by accepting credit cards and by having the client sign a credit card authorization that says we are authorized as the law firm to charge their card in accordance in um, normally what we say is 10 days after they receive the bill. So they have 10 days to dispute the bill. And if at the end of the 10 days they haven't disputed the bill, we're authorized to charge their card, which means that everything that you bill in September, you collect on October 10th or 11th. Boom. Fair enough. It's there. And, and the fifth piece of the AR puzzle is how we tie all this together and how we enforce it. And that's your fee agreement. And every bar association, every state wants you to have a fee agreement. You might as well have a contract that benefits you as the attorney. Yeah, a hundred percent. I've, I've gotten into a dispute with an attorney over, she didn't have a very clear fee agreement and she verbally quoted one thing and charged something completely different. If I had had that in writing to go back to, mm -hmm. would have made things so much easier. Yeah. Now, I will say, verbally quoting prices is really kind of setting yourself up for exactly the kind of thing that you had, mm -hmm. right? She quoted wrong. She misquoted. It happens. It's, you know, it's the law. You never know how it's going to go. If it's a flat fee, it's a flat fee. If it's hourly, say it will be at least and go up from there. Right, right, absolutely. Great advice. So the five pieces of the AR puzzle, do you have this in a giveaway that we can give to our listeners? I do. Perfect. We will put the link in the show notes. And is there somewhere else they should be looking for? Um, yeah, they can go to calfcap.com. And then forward slash, because I like to personalize things, um, forward slash solo de facto. Perfect. All right. And if you don't want to type all of that in, just click on the link below and we'll get you there. All right, Brooke. So when you aren't helping law firms thrive, how are you spending your free time? Oh my gosh, traveling. Absolutely. 100%. So the past year and a half, been a little rough on my travel. Um, but I bought, and you can't see it. It's like right there too far away for me to grab. <laughs> I always have my passport with me. People joke that I have it in case I need to flee the country at a moment's notice, 
but you can get the regular size passport or you can get the big passport with extra pages. And I got the extra pages and my goal is to fill every page before it expires. That is so cool. I have like three very sad stamps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so, um, yeah, gotta say that COVID did not help that goal because that was a year and a half of no travel. And um, I really kind of need the EU to disintegrate <laughs> so I can get stamped at any. <laughs> yep, this whole COVID thing is just cramping our style. It really is. <laughs> wow. So what's your like absolute bucket list dream travel? It's really kind of always the next trip I'm going on. So the next trip I'm going on is I rented a boat with some friends in Croatia. And in two weeks, I am going to spend a week cruising the Dalmatian coast and island hopping. Next question. How do I make the fast track to your best friends list? (laughs) Yeah, you really want to be on my best friends list because, um, (laughs) I did have a milestone birthday right before coronavirus and um, I invited seven friends to come to France and I treated them to three days in champagne because I wanted to drink champagne in champagne on my birthday. (laughs) Oh, I love it. That's incredible. That France is on my list. I'll have to ask you all about it. it. It was fabulous. I loved, I loved champagne. I'd like to go back. That's awesome. You are so interesting. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Well-traveled woman, passport ready. If you want to find out more about Brooke, how can folks connect with you? Um, We're pretty easy to find. So our URL, if you want to go to our website, it's cathcap.com, C-A-T-H-C-A-P.com. My email address is brooke at cathcap.com. Awesome. Well, Brooke, thank you so much for spending time with me today. If you're listening and you learned anything of value, please share it with a friend. Thank you for joining us for today's show. For more information, visit our site at solodefacto.com. And remember, smash that like and subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. Solo De Facto is sponsored by Back Office Betty's, trusted virtual legal receptionist, helping you grow your firm one call, one chat one new client at a time. To discover how they can help you grow your firm, head on over to backofficebetties.com and mention the Solo De Facto Show for an exclusive listener offer.